Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Now, when it comes to stand, when we come to stand, we have to remember that Jesus went ahead of us and dealt with his own spiritual battle, didn't he? For the sake of time, we're going to just not read the whole thing, but we're going to just talk about it very quickly. Matthew chapter 4, and then Luke, I believe it's Luke 4 also, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit. It was no accident. Right after his baptism, right? Right after this wonderful experience in which God speaks from heaven, the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit comes in the form of a dove. There's this, this complete revelation of Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God. John the Baptist knows it. It is clear. It is evident. And before Jesus goes on into ministry, he has to have his first test. The testing of Jesus, the temptation of Christ. Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit and he encounters our enemy, the devil. The devil, and he tries to get him in three different forms, right? The temptation of the bread. Temptation of the bread. Turns the stones into bread and you will be fine. Go to the pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself down, and you will be fine. Took him to the highest mountain. All these kingdoms of this world, they belong to me. Worship me, and you'll be fine. And Jesus comes back every time. It is written, it is written, it is written. The temptation was real. Jesus had no sin, right? But he was tested. He was tested and all points, just like we are. Now, it doesn't mean Hebrews 4 talks about that. Jesus was tempted in all points, in all aspects. It doesn't mean that Jesus endured every single temptation that every single person ever faced. It's talking about, it's like weakness, in all points of weakness. When you put on the full armor of God, you have no weakness, if you fail to put one of the armor of God, there's a weakness. It's like a chink in the armor, right? It's something, a weak spot. That's the weak spot that Satan will capitalize on. Jesus was tested in all points, different points of the armor, but Jesus was not weak in any of those points, right? That's what, that's what Hebrews is trying to say. Oh, Jesus was really tempted, but he had the full armor in a sense. He's God. He is the armor, but he wore it as a man, as, as the Messiah. But he was tempted in all points. But all the points, he has shown no weakness. He was no weakness, right? And so that's what we have to remember, that Jesus was tempted before us. Torn the stones into bread. Well, to me and you, that's not a temptation. You realize that, right? If the devil came to you and said, turn the stones into bread... I would not be tempted. Does anyone know why? That's right. Because <laughs> I can't do it. I can't turn stones into bread. Have a good time, devil. I'm not going to be tempted at all. But he's not going to come to me with that temptation. Because he knows. What kind of temptation is he going to come with to me? Whatever I could do in my own hands, right? With my own hands. Whatever I have the power to do. He tried to get Jesus to act independent from God. He tried to get Jesus to act independent from the Father. The Father said, this is the will, this is my will, that you go to the cross, pay the penalty of sin for mankind. The devil said, no, you don't have to follow. God just brought you out here to die. Just stones, turn stones into bread, feed yourself, take care of your needs. Who's going to take care of you? Well, God would. He has to trust God. He, that's the promise of the Father. Turn the stones into bread. Well, the devil may come to you and me in a different light. Who's going to take care of you? You got to do it on your own. Pick up yourself. Go do it. Take care of it. Well, well, no, God told me to wait. Oh, you don't have to wait. Why wait? God's going to brought, you got brought out here to die. <laughs> you know, he's not going to take care of you. Go to the pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself down. 
Didn't they say the angels will catch you? Isn't that, that's what the devil said, the angels will catch you. What he was trying to make Jesus do is throw himself in the pinnacle of the temple, come down, the angels will catch him because the Messiah cannot die on the floor of the, uh, you know, on, the, on the pavement. He can't die on the, <laughs> he would land on the ground and die. So the, the, uh, the Satan says, well, the, God's going to send his angels to catch you and you'll just come down and you'll be the Messiah and everybody would love you because there's this great miracle at the temple, right? Mm-hmm. Malachi says the Lord will up- suddenly appear in the temple. Actually, the Jews actually thought that the Messiah would come down from heaven, literally come down out of heaven into the temple. That's what they thought Malachi 3.1 was all about. Well, the devil was trying to make him do that. Throw yourself from the temple. The angels are going to catch you. And everyone's going to see that you're the glorious Messiah. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to do that. I'm going to tempt God. <laughs> I'm going to tempt because that's not the way the Messiah is supposed to be revealed. How was the Messiah supposed to be revealed? Remember the donkey? Lowly, humble, on the colt of a donkey, right? If he came down from heaven with the glorious angels, that's not the way he was going to be revealed. That's the way he'll be revealed in the second coming with the angels, but that's not the way he's going to be revealed in the first coming. And then all the kingdoms of the world will be his. Well, Jesus first has to endure the cross before he becomes king. He must wear the crown of thorns before he wears the crown of crowns, right? Before he's crowned with many crowns, he's got to be crowned with the crown of thorns. Get thee hence, Satan. Right? Get behind me, Satan. And Jesus was able to succeed. He was able to defeat the devil on those, on those three temptations, right? So we have our own temptations. We have our own battle. And this is what we face. So Paul is writing from prison, and he says, look what you're coming against. You're coming against the schemes of the devil. Verse 11, the schemes of the devil. I hope this makes you feel good. But Satan has a strategy. He has a strategy against you and against me and against the fellowship at CCOD and against our kids and against our family and it gets our loved ones. Does that make you feel good? Not at all, right? But it's the truth. He has schemes, strategies. He has a plan of attack. That's what Paul is saying. He has a plan of attack. He has a scheme. This strategy is very crafty, is very, very cunning. In fact, this is what he tries to do sometimes. Look what it says in uh, verse... Chapter 4, verse 26. Look at chapter 4, verse 26. This is some of his strategies. Paul warns the Ephesians, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And don't give the devil an opportunity. What's one way the devil can get to you? Your anger. Your anger. Did anyone here have a boiling point? Yeah? Yeah? Maybe? Nah. What's one way the devil can get to you? Your temper. What does Paul say? Don't give him an opportunity. Be angry, but do not sin. How can you be angry and do not sin? (laughs) Have you ever been so angry you just wanted to lash out? But the Holy Spirit told you, don't you dare. Don't you dare. And you have to humble yourself at that point. You know you're mad, and you know it's right to be mad because it's probably something that really hurts you. But you can't lash out, and you can't harbor it, and you can't be bitter. Yes, brother? Just take it to God. Yeah, take it to God. He's got broad shoulders. He hears it all. There is a righteous anger, isn't it? The Bible says there is a righteous anger. You could be angry at sin. You could be angry at... Things that you see on the news, especially today, you could throw the thing, your shoe at the TV like I do. You could do a lot of things, but don't act on it. Don't act on it, especially against others. Be angry, do not sin. Verse 28, let him who steals steal no longer, but rather him who labor perform with his hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with who has need. Let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. What's another way the devil can get to you? Discredit you. 
disqualify you. Your anger and your, your mouth. That's right, your words. Any problem with that? Anger and mouth. No? We're all saints. We're all good. <laughs> well, this was written to saints, right? This was written to the Church of Ephesians. This is written to the saints. The devil's trying to get you. He has schemes. He has really a strategy. He knows how to get to you. Is there things that make you angry more than other things? Yeah? Get ready. <laughs> get ready. What do you think he's going to use? What do you think he's going to use? He's got strategies. He's got a scheme. He's got a football. Have you seen those football coaches? They got a little headset. They got a little chart. They got all the plays laid out. If you watch football, I mean, I, I just think it's strategically it's interesting. I just think of the enemy like that. He's got a chart that says Marco, Anthony, Dana. He's got a chart that says Bill. His weak points. He knows how to do it. Boiling point. What makes it tick? It's crazy. He's got this scheme all laid out. And he's invisible. And he doesn't sleep. And he's always scheming. And Paul's going to tell us he's got a lot of friends. Or not so much friends. He's got a lot of minions. He's got a lot of enemies. How are you ever going to win? How are you ever going to win? Sounds like a turkey shooting, right? It's just like, we're just sitting ducks. He's invisible. He's super intelligent. He doesn't sleep. He schemes. He's been around a long time. How will you ever defeat him? How will you ever defeat him? Anyway, let's keep going. His strategy or his tactics, it's also dealing with false teachings. Also dealing with false teaching. Look what it says in verse 14 of that same chapter 4. As a result, talking about the believers not being hoodwinked. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. What's another way Satan will try to get at you? By every wind and false doctrine trickery and scheming of mankind which he says you were once carried about that you once went around with all kinds of crazy thoughts in your mind about things about god i used to think crazy things about god i used to have all kinds of beliefs about god different things different ideas i wasn't even a christian but you carry these things right and then you went from one thing to another right from the watchtower to new age philosophy to Roman Catholicism, to Buddhism, to everything you can think of. You had every idea about God. But then God one day told you the truth. And the gospel came into your life. And then you knew the truth. And you're no longer little children tossed around to and fro. You're no longer following the schemes of men. And you should know now that that is Satan's strategy. He's trying to get at us. He's trying to let us to become... Uh, he's trying to get us back in the form of bad behavior and false teachings. This is the way he'll try to discredit us. Bad behavior, your anger, unwholesome words, immoral living, and then false teachings going back to the false things of this world, to false religious systems. Let's continue. Back to chapter 6. How are we doing on time? Not very good. All right. Verse... 11. Ephesians. Ephesians. You're good. Oh, no, no, you're good. I was in different chapters. I was just in different chapters. Good. Verse 12. Who is the enemy? Because that's one thing we got to know, right? If you're going to fight a battle, you got to know who the enemy is. Know your enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. As much as Islam... As much as the homosexual movement, the radical homosexual movement, will say Christians are their enemies, they are not our enemies. They are not our enemies. They may consider us our enemies, unfortunately. They may consider us the enemy, but they're not the enemy. We go witness and share the gospel with the Festival of Lights. Chris, you've seen a lot of things, right? And a lot of different things come up. And a lot of different enemies show up. And we may have an opportunity to retaliate against that person, but we know that's not what the Lord wants. That's not the enemy. 
we see them as somebody that needs to be saved. But we know the enemy, it's what's working behind the scenes. Right? It's the ism behind it. Right? It's the ism behind it. What's the ism behind that person? That's the real enemy. But the person is not the enemy. The person is just somebody needs to be saved. And that's why we don't retaliate in that sense. They might come against us hard. And they have against Chris. They have against Anthony. They have against other people, right? But it's not our retaliation. Our enemy, our enemy is satanic and demonic. Look what it says. Against the rulers, against the powers of the world's forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, right? It is very interesting. When you read about Satan in the Bible, there are three places specifically that he's mentioned quite often. The beginning of the book, the middle of the book, and the end of the book. Genesis, the beginning, the Gospels in the middle, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three points that the Bible speaks most about the devil. His beginning, his attack on Jesus in the, in the early church, and Revelation, his final attack on the last saints of the last days, and then his destruction. Praise the Lord. If you want to know what Satan is like, read those three areas. Exactly. Read Genesis, read the Gospels, read Revelation. And when you set to study them and read them, you're going to find out he doesn't want you to read them. You're going to find out in your own life he doesn't want you to read those books. Why does he want you to read his book, those books? Because he doesn't want you to know about his beginnings, his craftiness, and of course his ending. And what, that's right. Just try it out. Study those books. You'll find a lot of resistance all of a sudden in your life. How? Because he's the adversary. He's the slanderer, right? He is the Lord of the flies. He's the tempter. He's the evil one, the prince of this world, the god of the sage, the accuser of the brethren, the serpent, the dragon, the cunning one, the angel of light, the lion. He is the highest of all the angelic creatures, a murderer, a liar, a sinner, an accuser, and an adversary. So all names and titles that the Bible gives to Satan himself. And I'm sure he doesn't like what we're saying now. And I'm sure he does not like what we're saying now. But forget the ideas of Hollywood. He doesn't look like anything like Hollywood portrays him to be. He's actually a very beautiful creature, the Bible says. As a very, very, as an angel of light. It's another story for a different time. But he's the prince of the ruler of this world. And he used to dominate our lives. In fact, we used to live in his territory and we used to participate in what he wanted us to do. We thought we were doing it for ourselves, but it was actually him who we were doing it for. And one day, Jesus, the Bible says, when we believe the gospel, God translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. But he didn't remove you from this earth. He did not remove you from this world. That means you're still in the same territory, but belonging to a different kingdom. You are a traitor. According to Satan, you are a traitor, and you are going to be dealt with. Is anyone scared here so far? Good? All right. But that's the reality. There's nothing to be scared about, but it's something to be aware of. Absolutely be aware of, right? He can't stop God. He will never be able to stop God. The only way he tries to do is to stop God's people from doing God's will. And that's how he gets to stop God. He thinks God's always ahead of him, right? He can't stop God, but he can try to stop God's people and doing his will, and therefore he thinks he can stop God. And so therefore the warnings, he will try to stop you on behavior, and he'll try to stop you on, your, on doctrine, on false teachings. If he can get believers on bad false teachings yes. through the cunning and scheming of men, yes. wait, like a well, toss to and fro, uh, like wind, like the wind and the waves, right? Um, if he can get us to be tossed to and fro in every form of doctrine, and if he can get your behavior to live immoral, he's already neutralized you. Then you're no good in the kingdom of God. And that's why he believes he could do it. Now, he's got a supernatural host of things. Four times, Paul uses the word against, verse 12. Against, against, against. It's a hierarchy of demonic powers. 
a hierarchy of demonic powers. We'll go through it very quickly. The word rulers, in my translation, is against the rulers. The word R-K, A-R-C-H-E. It means principalities. These are the heavy hitters, in a sense. These are, like in Daniel, chapter 10, the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia. These are demonic beings, powerful demonic beings, that are over large empires or cities or countries or major kingdoms in, in the past. I'm sure there's one over the Vatican. I am sure there's one over the Kremlin. I am sure there's one over major places in the world. And I am sure he's trying to get a foothold on the White House. And I am sure he's trying to get everything and anything that he can get his hands on to destroy Christians. There's one over Mecca. What's that? There's one in the Victor Valley. There's one in the Victor Valley. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Principalities. Now, some people have tried to describe it as territorial spirits. And there's a whole lot of crazy teaching on territorial spirits. We're not going to get into that. But it's, it, it's not the idea of territorial spirits. That's just a description. The idea of RK is a principality, a powerful ruler that is dominating a certain area, right? RK. The other one is powers, right? Against powers. Uh, this idea in the Greek has to do with like governmental powers or authorities, right? Against, my translation says, against world forces of this darkness, right? Cosmo kratoras. In Greek, it simply means that there is, there is this um, um, somebody that's in this world who controls the aspects of this world and has to do with darkness. Darkness. What's that? Quite possibly, yes. They control this age. Now, the Bible says we were once part of this. Look at chapter 5, verse 8, real quick. Chapter 5, verse 8. Same Ephesians, yeah. You were formerly in darkness, but you're now in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 11, and do not practice unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Amen. See, we once, we once served this darkness, Amen. right? This is what we're up against, but we were once part of that darkness. Amen. The Lord saved us out of it. And the last one is against spiritual forces of wickedness. The word there is poneras has to do with depravity, malice, and wickedness. As you go down the list, rulers, powers, uh, against the world's forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness, right? It's a hierarchy. The, the first ones are the most powerful ones, and then you go down the list. Demonic powers, demonic beings, but then there's real high-ranking, powerful demonic beings. This is what we're up against. And our society is full of that. You see it. Governments, isms, philosophies, witchcraft, sorcery, wickedness. 1.5 million registered witches in America, more than Presbyterians in America. Growing, millennials, growing, growing among millennials, growing among young people. Sorcery, wickedness, witchcraft, demonic, occult, People are, uh, in my daughter's age, people like, you know, young, young ladies and young men in our fellowship, the same age, their, their counterparts are into all kinds of wickedness, of Wicca, of um, sorcery, on and on and on, and more and more tarot cards, psychic readings, horoscopes, anything you can think of, and they're very much growing in our day and age. Whenever the Lord's working strong, the enemy will be working alongside very strong as well. Now, he's going to give us our weapons, though. He's going to give us our weapons. By the way, look what it says in, in, at the end of verse 12. I forgot to mention. In heavenly places. These are hosts of wickedness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. If we, just as a whole, as a letter as a whole, where are Christians seated now? It's heavenly places. It's the same word. What Paul is trying to describe it is, where you are, that's where they are. 
you're not immune to them. In fact, because we're now seated in the high places in Christ Jesus, the heavenly places, we are now aware. We are now aware of what happens, what's going on. That the wars in this world, the wickedness of this world, is not because mankind only. Yes, they play a role in it, but what's behind it? Spiritual darkness, rulers. And now you're aware. Jesus has lifted you up, put you in high places, and guess what you find? There's a battle. And there's a warfare. When I was not a Christian, I had no idea. I was in oblivion. You know, you know football, baseball, entertainment, parties, this, that. Who cares? <laughs> Jesus lifts us up. Now your eyes are, oh, well, I'm seated in high places with heavenly, in high places in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. But there's other things around there now. Now there's other things. Now I know that the war here, the spiritual battle that we face here is a reflection of what's going on in heaven. And then Revelation 12 finally says, Archangel Michael fights with the devil and the devil's cast down to the earth. Uh, at that point, this is another story, <laughs> At that point, when the Antichrist comes, it no longer will be an invisible war. It will no longer be an invisible war like it is today. It'll be a visible war, and we will know it. And we will know it. So we need to be in battle today. If we're in battle today, we will be in battle later, and we'll win later. But the enemy is coming, and he's coming with great wrath, the book of Revelation says. Let's continue. Now our weapons. This is nice. Our weapons. Take him up, verse 13, take up the full armor of God. Once again, a second time, a command. Not an option, a command. Take him up. That you may be able to resist in the evil day. Not just resist against the wicked one. Not just resist against the schemes of the devil. But now you're going to have to resist when? In the evil day. No, when's that evil day? Right now. Was it evil day when Paul was around? Were the Ephesians dealing with an evil day? Absolutely. It was true then. It's true in Paul's days. It's true in Charles Spurgeon's days. It's true now. But ultimately it will be true, even more true one day, wouldn't it? All right. And this is, again, a Jewish, Christian Jewish understanding of it, right? It's called light to heavy. If something's true in a situation that is normal, it will be ultra true when it's a situation that is very, very, very heated. Meaning this, the Bible is full of those, right? Um, One example will be how much more. You ever heard Jesus say how much more? Right? If this is true, how much more? That's Jesus being a good teacher, saying... If something's true in a situation, normal, how much more, you know, like one example would be, if God had said take care, take care of the birds, because God's a benevolent creator, how much more will he take care of you, right? How much more? Find those in the Bible, all through the Bible, how much more, how much more? Those are the light to heavy. If fellowship is good, all the time, but then the Hebrew says, don't forsake the fellowship of believers, Right? Assembly, right? but is now specially, now the book of Hebrews uses the word specially, which is another way of saying how much more, specially as you see the day approaching. If something's true in one situation, it'll be very, very important in a heavy situation, meaning this, if it's always been good to have a spiritual battle, I mean, good in a sense of being engaged in it, how much more will it be in the evil day? When that evil day comes, how much more are we going to be able to stand? We need to stand. And you need to stand now, otherwise you won't be able to stand later. How much more? Right? The weapons. Take up the full armor, be able to stand in the evil day, in the evil day, having all this, uh, everything to stand, stand firm. Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. He looked at that Roman soldier and he says, man, that reminds me of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God... In the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, chapter 52, chapter 11, and in Jeremiah 13, we're not going to go to it because we're running out of time, but in Isaiah 59, Isaiah 52, Isaiah chapter 11, and Jeremiah 13, God describes himself 
as having the armor of God, the belt of truth, a breastplate like righteousness, right? He describes himself as having that and available for his people to have. And now Paul in the New Testament just blows the door open and say, look, this is in the old, but now I'm going to reveal it to you in the new. And we're like an army. We're like soldiers. The Christian church is like a, it's like a troop advancing together, advancing together against the enemy. And this is true in the Old Testament. It is true today. Remember, the enemy is trying to get us on, go back to false teachings and corrupt your behavior. If he can get you on those two things, he's one. We're too able to stand against that. How are we able to stand against that? Well, the armor, not bits and pieces, the whole armor. And don't forget, put on the whole armor, because if you fail to lose, fail to put one on, that's your weakness. First of all, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. There's a nice little picture there. So it's a combination of what the Jews used to know from the Old Testament and what Paul reveals in the New Testament, right? Similar things, but in, in Ephesians is described fuller, more descriptive, more clear, I guess you could say, right? Than in the Old Testament. But we have to remember, that's where Paul got it from. He says, the belt of truth, it always starts with truth. Amen. And the belt was something that went around your waist, and it's quite interesting, it was leather, but it had all these hooks, and it went down to your thigh, and it came up like a strap, like an X on your back. And it carried basically everything that you needed for the battle was hooked on the belt of truth. It was literally, literally in the Greek, it's something that goes around your waist. But the way the Romans used it was, it was around your waist, it had hooks, it had a leather strap that went down to your thigh, it had an X on the back that you put it on, like a, basically like a strap. And everything of the armor went on the belt of truth. Amen. That means that you can't have anything else after that unless you have the truth. People will try to be righteous. People will try to do this, will try to do that, will be religious. But you can't, it doesn't work unless you have the belt of truth. Everything lies on the belt of truth. And what Paul is saying here, Gird yourself, right? Gird yourself, your loins, with the truth. It's the idea is to be gripped by the truth. Let the truth grip you, is what Paul is saying. Be overwhelmed by the truth. Put it on you. By the way, these are all things God's not going to do it for you. You got to put it on yourself. This is something you do. God, God gives you the weapons, then you got to put it on. Right? It's always like the case in the Bible. God does something, you do something. It's never expect, you know, it's like not, an, not an expectator sport in a sense. Not that it's a sport, but it's not for you to just sit on the sideline and see God do it. He invites us to do it. Everything is on the belt. Without the belt, you couldn't do anything, right? And the next one is the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate of righteousness is connected to the truth. It's connected to the belt, you can't have this if you don't have this. Amen. You can't be righteous unless you're truthful. Amen. And what I mean by truthful, unless you know the truth. That's right. God wants us to know the truth first. That's what it's labeled first. Right? In the Bible, lists are very important, but the first one and the last ones are sort of important things because God, the Bible always describes the important ones at the top. They're all important, but they depends on this one. It all depends on the truth. And if you don't have the truth, no matter what you try to do, it won't work. Any, it won't work. By the way, the breastplate of righteousness covers the heart. It's very important. The Romans talk about this all the time. It covers the vital organs, the heart. It was the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness with truth, right, that you had in order to cover the heart. What the soldiers were always careful is not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. Now, when I say not to lose heart, I'm talking about discouragement, right? Discouragement. Yes. Amen. What's one way to be discouraged in the battle? It's when they attacked your heart, when they attacked your, when you left it exposed. Now, think about this. Righteousness in the heart. What does it have to do together? When you are 
unrighteous, when you behave unrighteous, if you left that open and the enemy attacked it, now you lose your morale. Now the enemy can say, you're not worthy to be here. How can you be in the fight? You didn't even walk with the Lord. Look at you. You're sinning. You're anger. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're not even worthy to be in this fight. We always have to cover the heart with righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness given to us, but we have to put it into action. It's His. He gives it to us, but you have to live it. And if you don't live it, my heart's exposed. Now, what does the devil can do with the heart? That's something that he does all the time. Discourage you, demoralizes you, all because you're not living for the Lord, right? All because he says, you don't live right. How dare are you going to go back to battle? And God wants us to be in the battle. Therefore, he restores us and puts us back in. But you have to cover your heart. It's easy for the enemy to discourage you if you leave that open. Let's continue. The next one. Shod your feet with the preparation. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Romans were way ahead of the NFL. They had spikes on their cleats. They had spikes on their sandals. This is from Isaiah 52. How lovely are the feet of him who preaches good news, who preaches salvation, who tells the world our God reigns. This is from Isaiah 52. How lovely are the feet. You have lovely feet if you preach the gospel. But it says to stand. And the Romans would engage an enemy. They would actually be immovable because they would anchor themselves to the ground and fight hand-to-hand combat and you couldn't move that soldier out of that spot. They were trained to cover a certain, a certain square footage. Each soldier had to cover a certain square footage. And what they were anchored was their shoes. They weren't going to move. It's just as us Christians. When the enemy comes, what do you need to be anchored on? The gospel. Amen. The gospel. Know the gospel. Know what Jesus has done for us. Know what the good news is about. Know it. Apply it, live it, anchor yourself on it. Know that Jesus did pay for our sins. Know that Jesus did die on the cross and nobody can undo it. Know that forgiveness of sin must be preached. And it's called the gospel of peace. It's kind of weird, huh? We're talking about war, but it says gospel of peace. Why is that? Anybody have a thought? Why does Paul say in the middle of a war passage, make sure you're anchored on the gospel of peace? Is that a little dichotomy there? It makes us think, right? Shalom. All right. As much as we engage in this battle, the gospel of peace should bring about peace to the hearer to make things right with God. Ultimately, the enemy is the enemy, but what's at stake? It's people. When we're anchored in the gospel and we give people the gospel, we're bringing them to peace with God. No matter what it is, we're not bringing the gospel of hate, right? It's the gospel of peace. No matter how that guy gets on my nerves, I want to see them saved. No matter if that guy is spitting in my face, I am not going to return evil. I'm not not going to do what he's doing to me because what I ultimately want is peace between him and God. The gospel of peace needs to go out of my mouth. And so we have to be gentle in that capacity because sometimes we tend to, you know, it it could get to us. The enemy's attacking us. You know, it's getting to us. You've got to remember the gospel of peace. Anchored with the gospel of peace. The next one. In addition to that, take up the shield of faith, which will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. The fiery darts. In the old days, there was no Molotov cocktail. <laughs> there was no Molotov cocktail. Oh, did I miss one? I think I missed the helmet of salvation. Yes, I did. Let's go back to... Oh, that's the next one. Sorry. The shield of faith. Oh, I just had him wrong in my, in my PowerPoint. The shield of faith. No Molotov cocktail. So what they used to do, the enemy would get arrows dipped in, pitched, or some oil, light it on fire, and shoot it across to the enemy. And it would cause a lot of damage. Well, the devil's like that. He's going to come with fiery darts. And he's going to come to us in a way that is going to challenge our faith. The, the shield was large enough to cover the whole person. The shield that the Romans had was tall enough to cover the whole person. So the soldier will get behind the shield 
and we'll be able to not to get hit by the fiery darts. Now, if you had a whole squad, if you had a whole other, other Christians around you, you can lock the shields up. And the Romans were very good at, at forming this thing called a tortoise, like a turtle. It basically formed a shell. And if you were under that shell, nobody would get hit. But it required other people to be with you. It required other believers to lock shields and, and basically you can thwart the enemy's arrows. And by the way, the Roman shield had this uh, canvas and uh, sheepskin on it. And they would, every time they went to war, they dip it in water and they would go out. And so when the fiery darts hit, with the arrows hit, it would extinguish them. Yeah, it wouldn't even have anything to do with it. So your faith, right? Whatever comes at you, continue to believe in Christ. Don't give up. Trust in his plans. That's faith, right? Trust when you can't see what's going to be ahead. Anybody struggle with doubts? Anybody struggle with doubts? Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Take up the shield of faith. You have to keep believing. You have to keep trusting. Any doubts come? You know that Jesus loves you. And he loves you more than you love him. So you're in good hands, right? You're in good shape, right? The doubts will go. Doubts come and go. But if you keep firming, believing in Jesus and be around other Christians, doesn't it help to be around other Christians when you're in doubt? Right? Yeah. That's right. Sometimes you're not as strong. Sometimes you're weak in faith. So guess what? It's nice to be under one of those. That's right. That's right. It's nice to be under one of those. If Anthony's strong in faith, I want to be under that shield. <laughs> right? Because I want to be strong that day. And vice versa. And all of us working together. The next one. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. That's what I had it. Okay, there it is. Helmet of salvation. What you think. What you think about salvation. It's always your protection, Right? People get caught up in theology. People get caught up in philosophy. People get up in all kinds of things. And they get confused and they get wrapped up and they get twisted. They don't know what to believe. Right? And the enemy loves it. But what is going to protect you is when you think on the things regarding salvation. Amen. What did Jesus do? What, when you get so complex in your theology, go back to the basics. Salvation. Things of salvation. What did Jesus do? How did he do it? What did he accomplish on the cross? What happened when I was justified? What did he give me? What's the gift, right? And of course, the most lovely thing that we could do as Christians together is take communion. Because when we take communion, we're reminded of the Lord's death until he comes. Yes, right? That's what communion is always important. It's like an object lesson all the time, all the time, all the time. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget what he did. That's why he says to do it as often as you can. And don't forget what I've done for you. Why? Because we tend to forget. The helmet of salvation will protect this. will protect the mind and the thinking. And boy, the enemy's good at that, isn't he? He's good at getting to the mind. He's getting good at putting things in your mind, attacking the mind. When that happens, keep the helmet on. Amen. Keep Jesus on. That's right. You know, Titus says God cannot lie. John 8 says the devil is the father of lies. So you're battling a liar and you have the truth, the, God, the helmet of salvation. Finally, the last one, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, it's quite interesting here. It's not saying you have a Bible, you're good. A lot of people have Bibles, but they're not in the battle. The sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? Well, this is what the sword of the Spirit would have looked like in Paul's day. This is the Machaira, a short blade used for hand-to-hand combat. It wasn't used for long-distance combat. Hand-to-hand, short blade, two edges, two sharp edges, and then a ridge down the middle. And although it's not very good, you can see it there. It was shaped like your tongue. It was shaped like, does it kind of look like a tongue? Okay. Yeah, okay. It's, it's not a good rendition, but the ones that you see in the museum are, are better. It's shaped like a tongue. You stick your tongue out, that's what the, 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 and it was called a tongue. It was basically, the idea was, it was sharp, two-edged sword, and it was shaped like a tongue. Now, Hebrews 4.12, 
The Word of God is sharper, is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Two edges. In Revelation 19, Jesus says, uh, Revelation says, Jesus comes and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Why? Because it's shaped like a tongue. What is Paul referring to about the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God? It's not just about having a Bible, right? A lot of people have Bibles, but it's how you use it. How you use it. What did Jesus do when Satan says, look, I know the Bible. Get away from me. (laughs) That's not what he did. What did he say? He told Scripture, right? He used Scripture. He used his tongue to bring about the sharpness of God's Word into the situation specifically. Whenever a temptation comes, speak Bible. Talk Bible. He did that with the Pharisees and scribes. That's right. All the time. All the time. Sharp two-edged sword. Use the Bible applicable to the situation. Now, it is interesting. We have to keep sharpening our sword, doesn't it? We have to keep sharpening our sword. We just can't say, you know, I, I, I know the Bible, but I never say anything. That temptation comes. That specific situation is at hand. Speak the Bible. Share the Bible. Use your tongue to speak the t- sharper than two-edged sword because you're going to have to know the Bible to be used in that situation. You know, you're being tempted. You can't just say, well, Judas go in and hung himself. Well, that doesn't help. You're being tempted, you know. And Job did this. Well, and the Pharisees attacked Jesus. Well, it doesn't quite work. What scripture does it apply to that situation? I don't know. I got to call the pastor. I got to call Ard. I got to call Anthony. I got to call someone, right? What's a passage for that, right? Well, they're not available today or whatever, right? So guess what? You have to go and you got to do it. And you got to dig. Didn't Jesus use the word exactly? for the devil in that specific situation? That's exactly right. Study to show yourself approved. Yes. Ultimately, Paul is saying this. When you put on the armor of God, you're putting on Jesus. Amen. That's all the other passages together. Paul would say, put on Christ. Isn't he our righteousness? Isn't the gospel about Jesus? Isn't he the belt of truth? Isn't he the truth? Isn't he the author and the pioneer of our faith? Isn't he our salvation? Isn't he our peace? Isn't he the word? That's right. Put on Jesus. Clothe yourself in Christ. Have him lead you. When you put on Christ, you're putting on the armor. That's what it's saying. You're not going to go find the armor in little pieces in your home and say, well, this is the armor of God. It's you draw close to Jesus. You put on his truth. You put on his righteousness. You put on salvation. You act on his word. You share his word. You're actively doing it. That's what ultimately is about. He's the truth. He's our righteousness. Verse 18 will be the last one. With all prayer and supplication, praying at all times in the spirit, and in this view, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. A weak soldier is no good. A weak soldier is no good. A Christian without an armor is of no use. He can be of use. So Paul says, be alert. Wake up. Don't be drowsy. The devil roams like a roaring lion. Seeking who may devour. Be alert, Peter says. Paul says the same thing, 1 Thessalonians 5. Be alert. Amen. You are now a children of the light. You are not to be caught unaware. How do you watch and be alert? Stay in your word. Verse 18. How do you watch and be alert? Pray. pray. Yes. It's got the ultimate dichotomy. You pray, you, you watch and be alert by closing your eyes. <laughs> right? You, that's right. How do you be alert? Close your eyes and pray. Because when you close your eyes and pray, you're aware of a lot more than with your visible eyes. That's right. When you're closing your eyes, you're aware Satan is near. 
You're aware of the enemies at hand. You're aware that Christians need prayer. Look what it says. At all times in the spirit, be on the alert, perseverance, and pray on my behalf and for all the saints. This is the one area in which the devil will try to get us not to do, to pray. It's the greatest weapon. Watch and pray, Jesus told his disciples when they were falling asleep. What is that old saying? Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. Amen. Right? Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christians on, his knee, on their knees. That is absolutely true. Christian, uh, uh, Satan hates that. Satan hates when the weakest one of all is on our knees. Satan will try to stop us from praying. And it says, pray at all times, right? Pray at all times. It doesn't say, not all the time. Pray at all times. How does that work? Pray at all times. It doesn't say pray all of the time. Pray at all times. Pray at all times. Well, that's right. The situation calls for you pray. Pray before work. Lord, I'm about to go in. And I don't know what the enemy's ahead, <laughs> but I'm praying, right? right? Pray before it starts. Right? Praying in the Spirit. Lord, prepare me ahead. What I think of praying in the flesh is when you're, when you're getting in trouble, now you say, Lord, get me out of this. <laughs> That's a prayer in the flesh. Praying in the Spirit is, Lord, I'm going into this. I don't know what's ahead. Prepare me. Help me. And I think, you know, it's not just praying on Sundays, but praying on Monday. I think the devil's more active on Mondays than any other day. That's just me. That's how it comes to me. And he'll come in unexpected times, doesn't he? So we need to pray at all times. That's right. Pray in the Spirit. What does pray in the Spirit mean? It means pray as the Spirit leads you to pray. As the Spirit leads you to pray. What words does He give you to pray? You have trouble praying? Ask the Spirit to lead you. Right? Let the Spirit prepare you with the words He gives you. That's the armor of God. For a more practical, we won't do it tonight, for, for a more practical illustration of this, Nehemiah chapter 4, I encourage you to read it. You want to see how spiritual battle works? Read Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. You'll see how spiritual warfare actually works out in an Old Testament sense. The Christian life in the spiritual warfare. Pray at all times. What does Jesus say? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It actually is the evil one in the scriptures. Right? It says evil, but it's actually translated, it's translated evil, but it's the evil one. With all perseverance, don't give up in prayer. Don't give up in your spiritual battle. The Lord has the victory. He'll give you the victory. It's guaranteed if you put it on. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your blessings and goodness. And we thank you for the cross. And we thank you for the salvation we have in our Lord. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.